Welcome back to Go for Set Deck, a podcast about all things Set Deck related. Today, we have part two of an interview with Christy Thompson that we started last week, and she will be shedding some light on her perspective as a set decorator working on a feature. She has tons of experience, and I value all of her opinions because I've worked with her actually for almost two years now, and I consider her also a dear friend. So enjoy part two of Christy Thompson's interview about features. Do you have, this is one of my favorite questions to ask people, because we basically right now are forming the industry for future years to come. So do you have any hopes for the industry in the future? Yes, I absolutely do. I'm very optimistic about it because It used to be that there were only a few networks and then you could work at HBO or Showtime if you did television and there were a limited number of films. But now it's I think it's just exploding because there are so many um, vehicles to distribute a movie or or, you know, have a TV series that there just seems to be a huge demand for content. So. I think it's very helpful. I think it's changed a lot in the time that I've done it. Set decorating used to be a much slower process when you didn't have a cell phone and you did everything with Polaroids, which I love because you were able to write the dimensions of the piece of furniture on the Polaroid. It was awesome. But now the technology has jumped so far ahead. You know, I think I'm working on a show now. This is my first show since... uh, uh, COVID-19 hit and the electronic aspect of it is daunting for someone like me just because I'm of an age where, you know, I didn't necessarily grow up with it. And yeah, but you and I are the same level of technology proficient. And when we are both together, our coordinators want to murder us because <laughs> we're like two 80 year old women that are like, how do I press start? <laughs> Where's the on button? <laughs> I can't get the printer to work. Yeah, I know. Well, it's not working. <laughs> Did you turn your computer on? No. <laughs> <laughs> but I am really hopeful in that sense. And it just seems to move at lightning speed at such a faster pace. I mean, I think that's, just a reflection of our short attention span. There seem to be many, many very quick scenes and lots of montages and lots of flashbacks. I mean, as a decorator, you know, a flashback is the same, even if it's on screen for two seconds, you know, we still have to do the same amount of work. So, yeah. So I think that's just added um, a level of pressure to it. Yeah. And I think that new positions are going to have to open up. You know, I think there's going to be more assistant um, set decorators. This whole thing that we've talked about a lot of having a set tech coordinator, that is just incredibly crucial right now, even though it's not a union position. You really cannot get away with without one. So I think that that's just going to have to become a union position and it's just going to have to become the norm um, to hire a set tech coordinator. Because it seems that every show that I go on to, that's one of the first questions I ask in the interview process with the UPM. Do you have a set tech coordinator budgeted? 99% of the time they say no. And then I explain why we need a set tech coordinator and 
just really, I just start right in the interview process and, uh, or I'm sorry, negotiation process and just make a point of that, that that's something that's essential. And I find they do come around, but it kind of takes some coaxing and sometimes you kind of have to get into it and they have to see, um, how that, if that position is lacking, what a mess things are turning into before they'll actually hire the person, you know? Right. Which is kind of backwards. Cause you're like, Nope, I'm telling you, I need this. I need help. X, Y, Z, here's why. And they're like, still no. And then you start your show and you're like, no, I'm drowning because of all the things I warned you about. <laughs> please help me. Give me a coordinator, please. So Just trust me. Yeah. It's, it's silly sometimes, but yeah, I echo that 1 billion percent. Yeah, it really is essential. And I think that they should make more money and it should just be the norm that we have a subject coordinator and a PA. We need pairs of hands, you know. Oh, yeah. It's so essential. It's it's vital to have a full team when you're in such high demand with all the crazy sets and all the locations and all the things that people require you all the time, whether it's budget tomorrow, budget today, budget five minutes ago, and then you have to deliver sets and you have to deliver the cleared artwork and everything has to be inventoried for assets. And you're like, oh, I'm one person and I need like a complete team, not just half of a team. You give me two bum legs and I can't finish the show. (laughs) (laughs) Well, one of the things that I wanted to touch base on in this episode is the difference of working on a feature film opposed to another format like music videos, commercials, or a TV show. And since I've done a movie with you, I figured we could talk about it since we've also done a TV show together. Since we've done both of those formats, I just figured you'd be a great person to talk to about the differences on a feature and on another format. So for your job as a set decorator, what would you say the biggest difference on a feature film over a TV show or a commercial or something else would be? Well, I would say, first of all, the pace, because television just goes at such lightning speed. Mm-hmm. You know, and so it's a different kind of skill set. You just have to be very ready to trust your gut and make decisions. You just got to make a decision, just keep making them, keep moving forward. I used to have a real fear of making the wrong decision. And then after a while, I just kind of learned, you know what? It's better to have a decision and a concrete idea. So true. Yeah, I think we agree on that, definitely. Then it is to flounder or postpone or procrastinate or be afraid of the decision. You just got to make it and move forward. And rarely are there big repercussions. I mean, sometimes I'm like, I kind of wish I'd done that differently, you know, but it's not very often. I mean, I think if you just trust yourself, trust your gut, keep the momentum going in television and and make the decision is the biggest thing. But I would say the pace primarily. The thing about doing a movie is you have the whole arc of the story. You have the whole arc of the character. You know, you know how this is going to end up. In television, they're often writing it, writing episodes as you're going. And you may not get the script until a very few days before you shoot it. <laughs> yeah. And so that's, 
that's kind of a, a different skill set. You know, I'm not saying that movies, the pace of movies that I do anyway, because I'm in sort of that mid-level, um, like $40 million movie world, you know, the pace is still fast and, but you do have the sort of arc of the whole story and you know how it's going to end up. And I think mentally you can kind of pace yourself a little bit like this set is going to be hugely challenging. And so I'm going to focus a lot of my budget and my resources and all of that on this particular set. In television, you don't really know what's coming um, a lot of the time. And they're kind of developing things as they go along. So you're just in like a constant state of going 100 miles an hour. You know, there's no, there's no, oh, this is a big challenging set and this is, I can breathe for a second because the set is easy, you know? Right. Definitely the pace is a, a huge factor in the difference between uh, TV and movies. And even with commercials and music videos, a movie, the pace is obviously going to be different because you don't have one day or two days to shoot it. You have a month or three months, depending on the length of the show. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. I, another thing that I also feel is a big difference between TV and movies is always with the character development, the level that you're going to go into it. I feel like TV, you're kind of getting the fast food version of character development, whereas a feature you're going to have more time to really figure out who you're dressing a set for and finding stuff for because you have more time to really focus on each character. That's a really good point. And I mean, we're lucky to have a last name, you know, yeah. <laughs> we're, we're lucky to know like who's cast in it. I mean, that, yeah. So you're right. That is much more of a challenge um, with television, I would think, because it just hasn't been as thought through, I think, by the writers sometimes, you know. Definitely. And then, of course, commercial and TV or commercials and uh, music videos are just like a snippet of life. So there's no, you're not really going to develop much of a character there. It's going to be. Yeah. I mean, my experience with commercials, because I did commercials pretty consistently for about six years, I guess. It felt like it was always about the minutia, you know, and I like the sort of bigger brushstrokes. The best way to put it. And commercials felt like the teeny tiny little brushstrokes where you have to have, you know, uh, many options for everything and stuff like that. Not that it was a bad thing. And I mean, it did, I did commercials around the time that I got divorced and it kind of served me well because my son was a kid at home and he was 15. So I could work on a commercial for a week or so and then make enough money where I didn't have to work for two weeks. I was able to go to his, you know, ball games or whatever he was involved in. So that was kind of, that was, there were some good things about that time, you know? That is, yeah, that's really true. It, commercials can help your schedule a lot more because you are more in control of it other than the shoot day itself. You have more control over your schedule. So that's, that's mm -hmm. true. In terms of money on commercials, though, it finally occurred to me, like the money seemed so fantastic. It just seemed like such a huge rate. But I wasn't factoring in the fact that I would have to spend about three days in bed after I did one. <laughs> because I was just unable to function for two yeah. or three days. 
Absolutely. So tired, you know. You're so dehydrated. You're yes. you feel like death because you've been on them for 20 some hours sometimes. And you're on like these concrete floors and you're running around and you're not drinking water. You're eating bizarre things like pizza or, you know, terrible food while you're on a commercial because, you know, who eats the healthy stuff? I mean... I know, I know people do, but you know, realistically, most people don't. <laughs> so you just feel like a, a garbage truck after a commercial. <laughs> That's a good way to put it. A garbage truck. Absolutely. <laughs> garbage truck. That's what you turn into. You do a commercial and then you just, you know, you're dead. I know people that in LA that I'm still friends with that will go and do commercial back to back with another commercial, another commercial, another commercial, and then they'll just take a month off. But it, Oh man, it messes up your body. I had back issues at 26. I mean, they did an x-ray of my back and they're like, why are you here? You're 26 years old. And I was like, I, I don't know. It hurts. And they're like, you're here for drugs, right? And I'm like, no, honestly, just please fix my back. Yeah. No, I get that. It is. It's tough. It takes a lot. Um, physically, it takes a lot out of you, you know? Yeah. Do you prefer a certain format over another? Mm. That's a really good question because I've had really good experiences in television. I've had really good experiences in film. It's kind of about the people that I'm working with. It really is, you know? So I think I, I can't really say that I prefer film over television or vice versa. It's really about just who I'm surrounded with and how much I'm enjoying that process. Right. Mm-hmm. That makes sense. Well, this question is kind of long and loaded, so it's a little tricky to what to, to focus on it. But do you have an example of the same situation happening, but being handled differently on a movie over another format like a TV show? Mm. Like, say you have a character that you're developing, right? Yeah. And it's the same character. It's a guy. He loves cats. He's 20. He wants a backyard, but he lives in the middle of a city. So he always, in, you know, encloses his entire uh, living space with plants and greenery. Mm-hmm. Same character, but a movie versus TV and those situations being handled differently. Like, the director gives you a completely different... Uh, color palette or not that wouldn't be the director, but a different list of requests for that same person in a different show or something. Oh yeah. Yeah. Okay. I see what you mean. Well, I think, you know, I guess the real difference is maybe because of the speed of television, um, especially in Los Angeles, they're much more likely to shoot locations that are very close by. You know, it's all about like keeping it very contained and very close to the studio. So it may not necessarily be the right location for the character. So you have to kind of really stretch to make it work. And I think in film, they're much more likely to seek out and take more time and find the location that really makes sense for the character. So you're sort of inherently the um the location makes sense and there's less trying to like bend it into something that um it should be. Oh, that's such a good answer. I was like, I'm not sure if she's gonna understand what I'm trying to say with this question, but that was a great answer. Dead on. 
what would you say the biggest challenges on a feature would be over other formats? Probably the budget. I mean, there's there's always, it just seems as if the sort of realm that I'm in, they seem very ambitious about what they want to shoot with the money that they have is sort of what I bump up against in film over and over again. And it doesn't really leave you any padding for any extraneous stuff. So if they add a scene and they still have the same budget, you know, they're not terribly flexible about it. And I think in television, at least in my experience, it's a little bit more fluid. Like, oh, okay, we're adding all this stuff in this episode. But two episodes from now, we know that we're just going to be in um, the girl's apartment. So we can sort of take that money and bring it over here. I don't know. That's probably more just the experience that I've had. No, I definitely agree with that. It's always the most annoying one. I mean, Mm -hmm. frustrating is all hell when you're like, I want to present you with the very best. It's not me that's restricting you. It is the money that is restricting you. You know what I hate so much is when the, the UPM acts like it's my money, you know, like it's my choice to spend your money. Well, I'm going to give you this money and I don't want you to spend this money. And I'm like, it's not me. I'm not spending it. I'm just spending what you guys are offering to make this work. Right. Where Sometimes there's this attitude, I think it's particularly more with men, where it's like they think that maybe I'm not explaining it very well, but it's like a personal thing. Like I'm, you know, you're not going to spend my money. And it's not it's not personal. You're, it's not your money because you're not getting anything out of it. You're just, you're getting a paycheck that is separate money. Yeah. Your paycheck has nothing to do with the budget. You're just buying the things that the movie needs or the show needs or the whatever needs. It's not like you're like personally getting the items and personally receiving something out of it. The yeah, benefit I'm not buying the couch because, because I want it, you know, for me, it's just, it's what the director wants. It's what the production designer wants. It's what we can find. It's what we can afford, blah, blah, blah. It's not like something that I personally have to have, you know? Right. The 40 yeah. sets of lockers that you have to order, it's not because you want them. <laughs> <laughs> the set needs them. <laughs> but you were like, the way I feel like 50 pink bunnies. They need to fill up the set. <laughs> I know. It's such a weird perception. And also, I'm sure you get this a lot more than I do, but people that are not in film are constantly saying to me, oh my God, your your job must be so fun. You get to shop all day. <laughs> yeah. That one's really hard. I don't respond nicely to it. <laughs> I don't respond so nicely to it either. Because uh, I don't, and I think UPMs have that mentality. They have that mentality too. And I'm like, yeah, I get to shop, but it's on a budget. It's not necessarily things that I want or care about. <laughs> so it's not like a great shopping experience for me. No, it's not like when you personally go shopping for clothes or for something for your house, it's not like the fun invigorating moment where you find the thing that's perfect for whatever space you're in. It's like I had to buy a hundred pound swordfish one time and we had to figure out transport for it because I was in California and I had to go to a fish market at three in the morning, buy the swordfish. It got put on a truck. 
it's hot in LA. So by seven in the morning, it's already smelling bad. And then I'm putting it on a barbecue in front of actors and they're trying to not react with their face about how smelly the fish is. And then the producer is yelling at me to find another hundred pound swordfish in the next 30 minutes, which it took me days to find that one. So it's never like the fun scenario that everyone's like, this is great. I'm (laughs) going to shop all day. (laughs) Yeah. I love buying rugs. Well, have you gone to home goods and bought six rugs? Cause that is not fun. (laughs) (laughs) Exactly. Yeah. As far as your team, the set dressers, lead man, all of that coordinator situation, what is the difference between your team on a feature versus your team on a TV show? It could be the number of people. It could be maybe you don't get team A, you get team B because the rates aren't as good. Mm -hmm. I don't think it's really that different. I mean, I know the rates are um, somewhat different, but here in Atlanta, it's so competitive. I mean, it's so busy. Typically, I don't really know that anybody's feeling like, oh, wow, my rate's just really a disaster because I'm working on a television show. You know, I guess the answer is I really don't think it's that different. I mean, it just depends. You know, sometimes we have huge crews for big sets and five trucks going and all that kind of stuff, but that happens in television and in film. So I don't really know that it's terribly different between television and film. Okay. Yeah. I, uh, I've noticed just when I bought in Atlanta that a lot of my challenge was fighting for a rate that was above $30 an hour, which for a buyer is really low. They kept trying to give me 28 or 29, but having 12 years of experience, I was like, this is crazy. Like, let's be real about it. I cannot for this, this low rate. Uh, whereas features that are more op- open to um, meeting higher rates. And then for me personally, on a TV show, it is so much harder to get an art coordinator or a set deck coordinator, excuse me, than a feature. Sometimes it it really does depend on the UPM and the budget. It's usually they're eager to hire, um, hire a set deck coordinator if they just had a bad experience without one. Absolutely. Yeah. Then they get more eager, you know. But I have to say my rate in television and film is really the same. But you brought up a really good point. And I think this um, is something that women are just worse at because we weren't ready to really do this for ourselves. But I went for years and years and years working at scale. And I'm embarrassed, you know, to say that. But I would actually go to UPM and say, Hey, what do you have to offer? You know, and just take what they gave me. Now, part of that was I was married and not to sound like a princess, but I wasn't paying the electric bill at that time. Part of it was I was working because I enjoyed working and money wasn't the biggest issue. But I think that really tripped me up. And it was maybe only about uh, eight or 10 years ago that I really started thinking about how to hone my negotiation skills. And I actually flew to Los Angeles for one day because they had a seminar about how to negotiate your rate, 44 did. And I swear to God, it was worth it because we actually talked to each other. There were a bunch of decorators there and we just spilled it. We said, this is what I'm making, this is my kit, 
this is what I've tried to negotiate. This is where I was successful. This is where I tried something and didn't get it. And we just started to share information. And that has been such a game changer for me. Yeah, it's key too, I feel like. Yeah. I just, a lot of people have been taught not to talk about their rates in the film industry, but it's the reason they've been taught that is so that nothing changes. It's for, you know, the above the line people that are worried about their budgets. Whereas I believe um, set decorators haven't changed their rates since the 80s. And it's just crazy to to think about that. And we're not the ones that go on strike. It's the writers and, you know, the art directors. And it's those unions that have been fighting for bigger rates and better rates and better uh, benefits for their employees where... Not to say our unions aren't doing anything, because they are. They do work very hard for a lot of aspects of the industry, but it's it's just hard in the set deck department to make any changes with rate fluctuation. Yeah. And I think I was just naive about it. You know, I felt uncomfortable asking other people. And it may have something to do, you know, as you said, with the way that I was raised, where you just don't talk about money, seem crass. But I just lost out on um, a lot of money that I could have made because I was just so willing to accept scale or whatever they were offering and didn't know to uh, negotiate an additional kit and a cell phone and a parking space and, you know, all the other things that you can add in. Or if you're traveling a certain level of flight, like if you need first class or business economy, or, you know, it's something that's not just standard. Yeah, that's a big deal. And I think we just have to get better at it. You know, we have to focus on it and get better at it. And I've had lots of times where, you know, after the fact, I would find out the lead man was making more money than I was. And I think a lot of, I don't mean to sound so sexist about it, but I think men are in many ways are just better negotiators, you know, just come up through the ranks where that's just part of what they do. And I think at least for women that are my generation, maybe it's just new to us. Maybe it's just something that we have to learn and have to focus on. There's a study that I was reading an article about, and it just talks about how women have a sense of guilt when they're trying to ask for things for themselves. And it's just scientifically proven that men have less of that feeling than a woman will. And I'm not, they couldn't prove where it comes from, obviously, but it definitely sounds like it's a society thing that, you know, you put pressure on yourself as a woman to, uh, sit down, smile, and just accept the things that are happening. Whereas instead you should be asking for more in, in general, I guess, in your negotiation. Yeah. And part of it is just trusting yourself, you know, having the confidence to know that you can walk away and, and not feel bad about it, not feel guilty about it. You know, even though the production designer is um, pressuring you or, wants, really wants you to do the job or whatever, you know, you just have to be able to walk away because the bottom line is we are doing this for money. I think that that, I would say for anybody starting up, just ask a ton of questions, ask other decorators, ask other buyers, you know, how much money are you making and how did you negotiate that? And what other French stuff are you getting on top of that? Cause that can add up quick too, you know? Oh, absolutely. Yeah. That's a, that's a definitely a, a future episode I want to do is about negotiation and 
um, just how to, how to be better at it and get some insight from a lot of different people about it. Just because I find it so interesting that we have this mentality to keep our rates to ourselves and not talk about different levels of rates and our other coworkers rates where I think it's healthy to know what everyone in your department is making. So whether you know you want to move into that position or you want to move into a different department, sometimes money is what what motivates people. Yeah. And I mean, one good thing that's happened, at least in California, is they can't go back to your rate on your last show. Because that was, I think, a huge obstacle for a lot of people. And I certainly faced it. You know, I kept trying to inch my rate up at one point. And they would just automatically say, oh, well, you did it for this on the last show, you know, and I'm like, uh, <laughs> but, you know, sometimes you there's maybe it's a great group of people or, or a friend of yours, it's a production designer and you're willing to do it for a little less money. But um, why should you be locked into that for the next 10 years? So I think that that is a, a huge hurdle that's been overcome, you know, just n- not being able to go back to your previous rate. Right. That, yeah, that's a great point. I forgot about that. I It's only been a couple of years, but it's changed so much now that I can't ask you. Well, we are in the middle of COVID-19 and we're finally back at work, which is very exciting. How has COVID affected your job on a feature? It's affected it hugely. It really has had, and you and I have talked about this, it's had a really big impact because I am on an, on an independent film, there hasn't been a studio system that's already been set up before we came into it. We have what we call our COVID team. It's a group of doctors and nurses and professionals that have put together uh, a system to sort of help us navigate this. But they clearly have been learning as we've been learning, and I'm sure other people are finding this too, the COVID team has no idea what we do. They're, they're not film people. And I just made an assumption that there would be a person that was like a liaison between the film pe- um, the film company and the medical people where they would have all this knowledge about how we operate. But that has not been the case. So it really, and, and I'm not complaining about it. I'm very happy to be at work. I'm very happy to feel safe. But in the beginning, I had to dedicate just hours and hours and hours a day of like, how are we going to navigate this? How do the guys ride in the truck? You know, what are we going to do in this situation? And it was really comical. At one point, we actually gave a picture of a five ton to someone on our COVID team so she could understand how our guys fit into the truck with a driver. She kept thinking that they were in a van. And I said, they're not. And then her solution was, I said, we can't have, in, well, what I actually said to her was in Los Angeles, they have a driver, they have a um, plexiglass partition, and then they have one in the back. Yeah, that's interesting. That's what some of my friends had told me and how they were operating. And this was a couple months ago. This is very early on when we started back. And um, she said, oh, well, if you can only have one schedule, then they'll just have to get more trucks. <laughs> and I was like, no, no, no. They're not going to get another truck and another Teamster for Professor to drive, ride. So ultimately, what we got to is the guys um, and women, sorry, set dressers, they drive behind the truck, they self drive, and they get paid mileage. And that was a lot of back and forth and conversation and 
you know, having to talk to the UPM and having to convince and what's the best way and all this kind of stuff. But that's just one example of things. And I think that you said something really smart to me because the first week or so, um, and I've, I've had, uh, coronavirus come very close to me. My son was sick. He's fine now. I've lost a few, not close friends, but acquaintances. And I just feel being in Georgia, it just feels very, very present to me. You said something very, very smart to me in the beginning, because I think it was about a week into it. And I just felt as terrified. I was just afraid all the time, every single day. And it was very draining. And the sort of the mental gymnastics of it was just exhausting me. And you said, you're training yourself for a brand new job. You've been doing this job for 22 years. You think you know how to do it, but you're learning how to do a completely new job. And that really rung true. And I think that was a turning point for me. And it kind of helped me wrap my head around, okay, I can't sort of take all this, you know, experience that I have and just know how things are going to operate and it's going to be a different pace. There's going to be a lot of other people to um, have to meet with and, uh, you know, strategize with and, and all those things. And it helped me sort of get my head around it. I have to say on my show, the biggest thing that changed um, is we had a scare. We had five people test positive Ooh, and they were on a weekend. They were on a Wednesday. It was about three days into shooting. They were on a Wednesday through Sunday shooting schedule. This happened on a Friday. So Friday morning, we all came in ready to shoot. They shut everything down. What was surprising to me, and I, you know, it's all a learning curve. I don't mean this in a negative way. They didn't really have a plan for if people had COVID, what were they going to do? Yeah. And they were pretty upfront about that. They said, you know, just kind of stand where you are. We were all six feet apart. Clearly, they had just gotten the information that five people were positive. They didn't have that information before a call from what I could gather. And so they called like a safety meeting. Everybody's standing apart with masks on, you know, the typical thing. They basically said, we've got to figure out what to do, which I found kind of frightening. I mean, I thought, you know, why hasn't someone sat down and thought through what if this happens? Because chances are, you know, we're there for several months. It's going to come up. Right. But the good thing that did, I think it just scared the hell out of them. And they took three days off, shut down shooting, which, of course, is a big deal. And then when we came back, there wasn't because I raised the question like, OK, what are the new policies? What are the new procedures to um, help us navigate this? And they said, well, it's not really about new procedures. It's about getting people to follow the existing procedures. So four out of five of those tests were false positives. Wow. Yeah. Which is, you know, I don't know who it is that tested positive and I don't know if that person is um, sick right now, but that honestly was a big relief that there were four of them were false positives, but I do think it, it sort of got them very focused on it and shook them up in a way that it maybe wouldn't have if that hadn't happened, you know? That's still insane though. I mean, that's a lot of false positives, but I know that there's all kinds of that stuff happening around town. I think 
pretty much every show that has come back has had at least one positive test. Yeah. Every show. Yeah. We're in such a unique position though. And I think, you know, at least in, in my brief experience doing this independent film, there's been a lot of focus on the actors and all the thing and all the talk is about the actors. But I kept saying to them over and over again, like we're in a weird position. We're on set, but we also are out in the world dealing with vendors that we have no control over that may or may not be wearing a mask. And there are customers all around us that may or may not be wearing a mask. You know, we're just in a very sort of uh, rare position, I think. Um, try to deal with something like this. So it's been a lot. I'm, I'm hopeful about it. I'm glad that the um, big studios have set such stringent um, standards. And I think we'll, you know, I'm certainly starting to adjust. My crew has been amazing. They really have taken it very seriously. And there hasn't been any question about, you know, we're just doing the safest thing. And we sort of made a vow to each other, like, just call me out. You know, if you see me standing too close to somebody, this is all new. And I mean, one day I left my car keys in the lockup and I went out to my car, realized I hadn't, no, I'm sorry. I left my cell phone in the lockup. I got in my car, took off my mask, was like, oh my God, I forgot my phone, ran back into lockup and my mask on. (laughs) Right. Sometimes you forget in those moments. I was so focused on finding my phone, I completely forgot. And thankfully, my lead man was standing here and he said, what's going on? Where's your mask? (laughs) You know, I don't want to be the mom in the situation either, but I... We have had to say to each other a few times, like, hey, guys, you're kind of clustered over there in the corner. You know, let's spread out and um, just stuff like that, you know. Yeah. I yeah. mean, it's hard because you don't want to call people out and make them uncomfortable because then you feel like you're being a dick. But at the same time, it's for it's for their health and your concern for their health. So that's there's sometimes a little disconnect. I think people take it a little personally sometimes. I think so. Yeah. And, um, I definitely don't want to be a dick, you know, but it's, it, it is something we just have to do it and we just have to be extremely careful about it. I think. Oh yeah, absolutely. Well, I don't want to stress you out before you go to sleep and go back to work on Monday. So we're going <laughs> to move on to the next question. Um, this is one of my favorite things to ask people because there's always a really interesting story. And I want to know, what is the weirdest request that you've ever been asked for? Okay. Well, there's, of course, the pornographic stuff, you know, sex shop, sex club, that kind of thing. But, okay, you might have to know me to know how weird this is. But a very close friend of mine is a director that does um, music videos. And this was a while back. But um, I was doing a music video for... Motley Crue. And the director came up to me and he said, um, Christy, Vince Neil wants you to do something to his microphone to make it look really cool. And I said, you too know I'm the least cool person. <laughs> like, you're coming to me <laughs> to do something that's really cool with his microphone. And I was like, well, like what? Because I'm thinking like Aerosmith and scarves and this. And he said, he just wants to be able to like swing it around. And I was like, okay, okay, let me see what we've got. And of course, we're in like a warehouse somewhere 
in Los Angeles, you know, nothing nearby. I took a piece of plastic chain and some duct tape and I attached a, he had a wireless mic and I attached uh, a piece of chain and we spray painted silver because it was yellow. I attached that to um, his microphone and he thought it was incredibly cool. He just, <laughs> and then, Look at you. you nailed it. You nailed the cool request. I know, but it was funny because my crew, uh, my, I think it was all, I'm pretty sure it was all guys, but my lead man and all the guys, they were just such Motley Crue fans. And all day they were like, this is history, man. We're making history. <laughs> and it's not that I don't like, I mean, sure. I like Motley Crue, but I wasn't like a fanatic the way that they were, you know, that's cute. Um, yeah. You earned yourself some street cred. <laughs> I got a tiny bit of street cred. With Little baby, my, uh, baby batch of street cred. Yes, exactly. With my microphone thing. Is there any tips, tricks, or tributes you'd like to mention in our little wrap-up hmm. Oh, yeah. This is a good one. Let's see. I feel as if I've said it all at this point. No, I'm just kidding. I think the most important like tip or trick is what I said before about making a decision. You know, you're, as a decorator, you are there for a reason. I mean, you got hired because your instincts are good and your taste is good and you know how to put together a budget and you know how to move fast and manage a lot of people. It's like a wide array of skills that you have to have to do this job. And I think just make a decision and move forward. Just keep making decisions all day long. And don't let yourself get tripped up in, oh, is this going to be the right thing? Or, you know, should I go talk to somebody about it? Should I get 14 people's, other people's opinion about it? Which, I mean, you can. And I often, you know, I often ask opinions about other things. But I think you just have to trust your gut, make the decision, move forward and sort it out if it goes awry. Mm-hmm. I think something that you, like knowing you the way that I do, I feel like I know you pretty well at this point. Something that I feel that you would consider a tip would be to have a, a positive attitude throughout the show, like to, to keep your positivity up because that's infectious to other people. Oh God, it's so infectious and it's hard to do. It's really hard to do when you're there at four o'clock in the morning, you know, you haven't slept very much and you got to rally the troops, but that you're right. That's a really important thing. You just have to be the cheerleader, you know? And I mean, I'm, I'm very goofy and I'm sure that um, a lot of the uh, set dressers that I work with think that I'm insane, but that's fine. I mean, I'll just like do silly things to kind of lighten the mood and, you know, just uh, have like a fake contest or whatever it is to try to get people motivated. I think I'm good at this. Tell me if I'm not, but I try to be really, really appreciative. And I try oh, to do the absolute best, hands yeah. down, best I've ever worked with in appreciation. It's, yeah. I mean, you thank me for everything. You give me credit for things in front of other people. And I'm just like, who is she? Is she? An angel sent out from heaven? I'm not sure how you're a human being. (laughs) 
That's because I won't name names, but I have been in that situation where I would bring an idea to the table and then the production designer would present it to the director or whoever it is right in front of me as if it was their idea, you know, and there's something just inherently wrong about that. It just feels icky, you know, to have someone just take credit for your fabulous, fantastic life-changing idea. <laughs> life-changing. <Yeah. laughs> We're altering lives over here with film. And I say it out loud. I say it to the director. I say it to everybody. I remember um, Shana and I did a show recently and I kept saying to the production designer, look what Shana found. Shana <laughs> found this amazing thing. Shana got this today. And he said to me, well, maybe next time I should hire Shana. And I said, well, maybe you should. <laughs> 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 no, it just you, it's just because everything we were working on, like you were showing him stuff you were finding too. It just that day just happened to be the day that I gave you the largest stack of paperwork on the planet. And you were just like, <laughs> well, we're going to order some stuff. So let's do this. No, but I love that. And I think also to the person that you're presenting it to, I mean, it's usually their production designer or the director in my case. It just shows them that you have a team. There are other people involved in this. You know, there are other people that are helping push this thing forward and we're all working together. It's not like a singular experience, you know? So I don't think you can ever go wrong with that. Like just giving credit and being appreciative. You know, I try to just thank people for being there, even if it's a horrible day. Um, <laughs> I do try to find some little thing <laughs> to be thankful for, you know? Yeah. I find it so inspirational and your positive, your positivity has been unmatched when I work with you. It's unbelievable. Even in the face of really awful people that we've worked with, you're still positive and kind to them. And I just find that remarkable and amazing. It just shows your Oh character. my God. That's so amazing that you, that you view me that way. Cause you have seen me very stressed out. Yeah. Very, very, <laughs> Very, you know, absolutely. Yeah. But that's, that's a great compliment. I really appreciate that, um, that that's coming through because in my head, that's what I want to do. But did that person really see all those grumpy moments or did they see like that split second where I was like, ta-da, right. <laughs> let's, let's go make a set. Yeah. You know? <laughs> yeah. There's always <laughs> a different takeaway in every person. So my takeaway has always been that you're an amazing person and I'm always happy to work with you. I miss all of our goofy voices and the processes that we do. And uh, yeah, I'm always happy to work with you. I know. I love working with you, Shana. We're, <laughs> we're going to have to find a way to do this again because I really, I just value, you know, you're just smart about it. When you've worked with me as a buyer, you think like a decorator because you all, you're a decorator also. But I love that you bring that to the table. So working with you as a buyer, because you're a decorator, is just a huge benefit, I think. And I love, love, love working with you. Because your thought process, you just approach it from a different place. And it's just incredibly helpful to have you um, look at it the way a decorator does. And just think about all the different elements. And that that's a huge um, value to me. And I love working with you. And I hope that we get to work together very soon. For everyone listening, uh, Christy and I love each other. And you can <laughs> listen to 10 minutes of that. 
we just love each other. Yeah, it's, no, it's so good. Crazy. You know, some people you just gel with. Yeah. Some people you enjoy, and we have a similar sense of humor, and we laugh at stupid things. And Perfect. I know. It's just great. Yeah. Well, thank you so, 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 so much for doing this. I owe you the best dinner in the universe with the best drinks on the planet. Because this is, I went over our time so much and I'm so sorry, but it has been a complete joy and pleasure to have you. And I'm so excited for you to hear this episode and how wonderful you sound. (laughs) Yay. Well, thank you so much. You made me sort of think through a lot of things. I mean, you you really kind of forced me to um, think about my job and how I operate and what I value and what I don't like and all that stuff. So it was good. It's good to check in sometimes and just be like, hey, what am I, what are my intentions for in the next uh, whatever amount of time? Yeah, exactly. No, it's really good to go through and think. All right. Well, I'll see you soon. Have a good night. Okay. Bye, Christy. Well, thanks everyone so much for tuning in to episode two, Christy Thompson's interview about features. It means the world to me that you're here hanging out. And once again, if you'd like to email your industry stories, our Gmail is goforsetdeckpodcast at Gmail. If you'd like to follow us on Instagram, we are goforsetdeckpodcast. And we're also on Patreon as goforsetdeckpodcast. We are going to have some exciting shirt things coming up in the future. I'm still working on that and making sure that I don't mess up the wonderful Brittany Harold's designs. You should check her out on Instagram because she's amazing, which it's Brittany Harold underscore on Instagram. And our lovely editor, Joel Yetten, he is also on Instagram if you want to check him out because these are awesome people like I mentioned before. Well, thanks for hanging out with me. I'm your host, Shana Worsham, and that's it for episode two. Bye. Or, well, technically episode two, part two. Bye.